July 1st, 2022. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin and that Sadi Aleph Amud Aleph on the first wide line, just a few words, four words before the end of the line. Before beginning, I want to just very briefly, for just a moment, to, to share with you the words of Harambam in Perek Chet of Hilchot Teshubah Halacha Bet. Harambam in Perek Chet is talking about Olam Haba, and he writes as a result, Ha'olam Haba, en bo guf ugevia, ela nefnafshot ha-sadikim bilvad, velo guf kemal ache ha-sharet. Harambam writes, Olam Haba is a, uh, a circumstance wherein there's no body and it's all soul, kemal ache ha-sharet, like angels of heaven. Ho'il ve'en bo geviot, en bo lo achila velo shtia velo davar mikol ha-devarim, he says, since it's a place where there is no physicality, there's therefore no human attributes. There's no eating and there's no drinking and there's nothing that the physical side of humanity needs in this world. And there's no bodily attributes, not only actions, but there's no attributes, there's no sitting and there's no standing, there's no sleeping, and there's no happiness and no death and there's no laughing. It's along these lines that the rabbis in Masechet Berachot and elsewhere state those, of course, are the words that we've been describing. There's no eating, no drinking, no relations. Rather, the righteous ones sit. Of course, Harambam will get a little bit nervous about that. I just told you there's no physical posture. So he says sitting just means there's no effort. There's nothing beyond your state of being. Atrotehen berashehem, says Arambam from the Gemara, says they're wearing crowns. But I told you there's no physicality. Crown is your knowledge, your ability to achieve in life, says Arambam afterwards as well. Nothing, to the best of my knowledge, that will surprise anyone. Ra'avad, however, Ra'avad, who's from uh, Posquier, that's... Uh, that's in uh, southern France, and of course has his Hasagot and Harambam. He has the following question, following attack of Harambam, and he'll do that often, but when it comes to theological matters, it's, it's a little bit more at stake. It's not even a halachic debate and discussion. It's a matter of emunah, of that. Amar Abraham divre zehaish be'enai, the words of this man in my eyes, kirobim, are close to He says it, it appears as if Harambam is stating, advancing the opinion that has no physicality. And he gets very angry at that. Says Ra'avad, is an expression of uh, being incredulous. And by the life of my head, uh, the rabbis of the Gemara never had such an opinion that metim is only spiritual and not physical. Shahare Amru, after all, they said, he cites our Gemara, in the future, the uh, righteous ones are going to be resurrected with clothing on. And they had the Kalvachomer from Chita and several other Gemarot that are to come and Gemarot that we cited earlier in which the rabbis were intent on pointing out and advancing the point that Tahiyat will be physical. What's taking place with regards to this 
seeming mahlokit and dispute between Ra'avad and Harambam. Interestingly, and maybe if you've, if you've been paying attention, you'd pick up on this, Kesef Mishner Biosef Karo says, I don't really understand what's going on over here. It appears as if they're not actually disagreeing. Says Kesef Mishneh, says they're just talking about different realities. Whereas Harambam was referring to Olam Haba, Ra'avad is referring to Tehiyat HaMetim. Whereas Harambam says Olam Haba, this Olam Shal Neshamot, will have no physicality. Ra'avad, citing from the Gemara that we've been learning, is referring to Tehiyat HaMetim. The reason I mention this seeming misunderstanding between two great rabbis is to mention again the confusion that much of uh, many of us have been experiencing over the course of the last several days. The Gemara is talking about Tehiyat HaMetim time and again. On day one, I told you there's a dispute as to what the Gemara is referring to. If you recall, when the Mishnah said, we discussed it, it means one of several things. The Ra'avad, in reading Harambam, says, you see, I told you, he doesn't accept that Tahiyat Metim is physical. Whereas Harambam very easily responds, I don't know what I was referring to. Harambam, again, and this is just a side point in Harambam, never addresses in his Mishneh Torah this dimension, this issue of Tehiyat HaMetim, which we've been spending, what, two dapim on, a daf and a half on. Harambam has no mention of it, which, as I mentioned to you in the past, uh, provokes the ire of many. They look at Harambam and say, so you spent a full chapter and a half talking about this Olam Haba thing. Says Ra'avad, I know you're talking about Tahiyat Ametim. Says uh, Mishnah, it's not what he was referring to. So Harambam, where is your discussion of Tahiyat Ametim, which was an issue? He was attacked brutally and forcefully for that. How come you left out mention of Tahiyat Ametim? So he writes about it elsewhere. He wrote about it as a young man in his Hakdamat Perik Chilek. And he writes about it in that letter that I mentioned to you about Tahiyat Ametim. It is surprising and somewhat alarming that Harambam in his Mishneh Torah never addresses Tehiyat HaMetim. Again, properly understood by us, appropriately understood by most of the traditional Hachamim, Tehiyat HaMetim is a segue or is a dimension in that road, quote-unquote, to Olam Haba. Right? It's this experience in this world after death wherein prior to an afterworldly experience, you have another worldly experience. As a maybe along those lines, it's not really the direction he wants to focus on. It's certainly in a Maimonidean philosophy, it's not the place I want to be. I want to be, quote-unquote, in Olam Haba. It is interesting. There is no reference to it in, in uh, Hilchot Teshubah. And again, along the lines of our confusion, Ra'avad is confused about this. And Ra'avad says, I can't understand how he's talking about this in an absolutely non-physical fashion. All right, that's all I wanted to just mention at the onset of the class. Um, I, I will mention just lastly, we've been talking about Tehiyat HaMetim, talking about the experience and the, and the circumstance and so forth. Harambam does make one point in both places, best of my knowledge, as do others. Tehiyat HaMetim in their mind, is not accessible in a reality for all. It's rather specifically for the righteous. There will be such references in, in Nevim and Kitubim, in which it appears as if it's the righteous one specifically in this experience. That's something to be made uh, uh, aware of because our Mishnah started with and it's a halik of sorts. For one reason or another, is specifically only for the Sadiqim. As we advance, as we move a little bit further from the confusion, we'll glean more and more insights as to what in some
some way, shape, or fashion we're referring to. Okay, here says the Gemara in that first wide line forwards before the end of the line. Says the Gemara, Amar lehahu mina legaviha ben pasisa. So there was a heretic, another one of those, who's speaking to a uh, one of the scholars, one of the rabbis from the time of. Of, of, of Mishnah it has to be, Gaviha ben Pasisa. So what's the claim? What's the attack? Vay lechon hayavaya. Woe is to you, you wicked ones, says the mean to Gaviha. De amritun mete hayin. You say that the dead ones come back to life. De hayin mete. He says, you should be aware, Mr. Rabbi Gaviha, people that are alive die. We all accept that, right? Demete hayin? You think that those who are alive die, can't sustain a life forever, but you're nonetheless accepting that after death they'll come back to life. If you can't sustain the life that you have already, what makes you think that there's going to be a possibility of life after that death? You can't uphold the life while you have it. That's the claim. Amarle, the response of Gaviha is, Vailechon hayavaya, right back at you. Woe to you, you wicked ones. De amritun, after all, what you claim is, Metela hayim, that the dead ones will not be resurrected. So here's my claim to you. De la havu haye, de have haye la kol sheken. His claim goes as follows. Those who don't have life prior to conception achieve life. And we have the construction, the creation of human beings. And that's something which appears to be something from nothing. Those who are alive, you don't think, quote unquote, it's easier to conceive of afterlife bringing forth again life. Uh, just very basically, again, the back and forth. The back and forth goes as follows. You think... Uh, Gaviha and rabbis and Jews and so forth, that those who are alive die, can't keep their life, but they'll be able to come back to life. That's ridiculous. The response in turn is, but wait a second, let's move this back a few stages. If those who were never alive are able to come alive, so doesn't it stand to reason that once there is life, and perhaps it's deteriorated, you can then reconstruct it. I mean, I'd imagine his response as follows, uh, to construct a fortress out of nothing is a lot more difficult than to take the ruins of a fortress and build it up. So if I'm arguing, <coughs> and this is an interesting and important reference in this context, that that future life, he appears to be saying, doesn't say it explicitly, is coming from the very substance of the life right now. Do you follow? In other words, that's the, that seems to be the logical claim. In other words, if something can come out of nothing, then if there is something and it's been diminished but not to nothing, we're in the ground, we were existent, or if we had physicality, doesn't it perhaps stand to reason then that we can have a second life? But again, it's, it's, it's almost a cyclical vision of this. In other words, it's instead of seeing it as a new creation, it's a renewal of an initial and an earlier creation. I will mention as well in this context that there's an interesting facet of this debate in which they're referring to one another as the wicked ones. The claim is not just you rabbis, it's you wicked one. Wonder if Mabit, uh, that's, uh, the, the Mabit in his book Bet Elokim has the following suggestion with regards to this Gemara. He says, after all, death, as our Torah describes it, is a consequence of sin. 
Had Adam and Chava never sinned, had human beings kept our straightness in terms of a, an approach to life through a prism of emet, we'd be living almost eternally. The fact that we do die is because we are hayavaya, because we have sinned and do sin and don't know how to maintain a life of emet. The claim in turn goes as follows. If you can't sustain life, Sir Rabbi, because you don't know how to keep righteous, what makes you think that you'll have a second life? After all, your death was pronounced upon you for sin. The response in turn goes as follows, but wait a second, and the construction, the beginning, the conception of a child, of a human being, is because we are so righteous? It's uh, hard to make that argument. The Hachamim, certainly, Masechet Eruvin, make the claim that we don't have a life which is all that positive ahead of us. The assumption is that as we're born, we're not going to live a life of righteousness. So if God does create us, even though there is no righteous uh, perspective ahead of you, well, doesn't it therefore stand to reason that after that life, well, it could potentially have a second one? The first stage of birth is already, quote-unquote, the proof that even though we're hayav, even though uh, human beings, so called because we're not going to be able to sustain this system and work it appropriately, well, then what makes you therefore think that God is this, this, this master who will judge and determine only based on those deeds? Says the Gemara, Amar le hayavaya karitli. Uh, says this, uh, this heretic. Yes, Charlie. No, this is not Gilgul. Gilgul. Creation is coming from Gilgul, the Neshama coming again. No, no, Gilgul is in, in the eyes of the Mekubalim, Gilgul is in this life, in the life that you and I are living right now. Tahiyat HaMetim is at a future juncture. It's at a different time period. And as a result, Gilgul means, in the eyes of the Mekubalim, in a past lifetime, you haven't been able to achieve what's supposed to be your achievement. As a result, God brings forth again your neshama to be metakin. Tahiyat metim is in a future time period during which, which has not occurred yet, during which souls of many will be restored. So it's along the same lines, but it's, it's, it's altogether different. Says the Gemara, Amale hayavaya karitli, the heretic turns to Gaviha and he says, you called me a wicked one? Ikaimna, if I'm standing there during Tehiyat metim, you know what I'm going to do to you? Now a little biographical information is necessary, which is clear from this Gemara. Gaviha is a hunchback. So says the heretic to him, if I'm there during Tehiyat HaMetim, I'll kick you. And by kicking you, I'll straighten you out. Oh, so he's so angered in this moment that he's been defeated by Gaviha in this debate. In the claim that it won't happen to Hayat in the counterclaim, maybe there's a logical claim against you. He says, if I'm around then, I'll kick you until I straighten you out. The Gemara will very clearly, on Amud Bet, says Jared already from now, make clear that Tahiyat HaMetim will come back with any deformities that we have. And we'll have to discuss why that's the reality. But, yes, that's the assumption of this heretic to him in this moment. But again, he's got this bully uh, schoolyard claim, you know, that, that bent back of yours? If I'm around then, I'll beat it into shape and straighten it out. Says Gaviha, not missing a beat, Amar le imata if you do so, 
you'll be the greatest doctor in the world. And you know something? I'll pay you well. What sort of, la- I mean, is this just uh, bullying and uh, trash talking in the schoolyard? What's these last lines? Again, Gaviat is challenged, he, he defends, and then he's got this bully tactic claim against him, and then he's, oh, fantastic. Perhaps this last line is not so far off from the conversation we've had until now. The conversation that he has is, the heretic says to him, you know something, human beings, you, you end up dying, because your life is one in which not going to really be successful at your mission in humanity. You're not going to come to a complete state of being. As a result, you think that you've lived this damned life and you're going to die because of that damned life. And God's going to res- resurrect you? That's nonsense. Okay, and then Gaviyad defends himself. And the final punchline is, by the way, you want the logic? Sir, uh, sir, sir heretic, are you interested in the logic here? The logic is exactly what you just said. You think death. You think that the consequence of losing life in this world is quote-unquote just beating us up and leaving us more deteriorated and ruined than we are right now? And perhaps it's quite the opposite. Perhaps that life after life, perhaps that death stage is an opportunity for us. Yes, whatever hibut that the hachamim described is about. Yes, the Torah's vision of this sheol aftermath of life is one which perhaps is not all that comfortable. But ultimately speaking, you know what it's like, says Gaviha? You beat me up, and as a result, you straightened me. So to claim, since we're wicked, since our life is not successful, and that's why we lost out and had to die, well, there's no more hope. Maybe quite the opposite. Maybe the death is what gives us that straightness, just as you promised you will do to me. And in turn, after that straightness, it's now the most appropriate time to return, which Joe, of course, is reminiscent of Ramchal and the Mkubalim's vision of the purpose of Tehiyat Ametim, at least in their eyes. Isn't that like Along those lines, yes, I'm, got, I'm not going to get as, uh, as explicit on that, and certainly in the eyes of the rabbis that we learned in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, their vision of Gehenom is not always a purifying reality. It's sometimes punitive and punishment, whatever that fully means, but we've seen that. But yes, if that's the vision of Gehenom, so then that's, that's what's being described here. And the achievement then, in just envision it again as, so now that I've cleansed you, quote-unquote, I've straightened you out, now you have to hiatamitim to finish that, because after all, there was an achievement to be, uh, to be well, fulfilled in this world. I'm not talking about yeah, Gehenna. He brought up Gehenna. Uh, this, this is the classical argument, though, between us and Amalek, where Amalek says the world is heading towards a new being. There's no meaning in anything that you do. And ultimately, you just keep getting back with this meaning. And Certainly. Again, if there is no meaning, then anything that you do... Certainly. Says Joe Levy, says, listen, this is the Amalek claim, this is the hedonistic claim, this is the atheistic claim. If the world is filled with chaos, if humanity is damned to a, a pessimistic, negative outcome, so then why not just eat, drink, and be merry throughout? Because ultimately speaking, we're all making our way down to Staten Island or today to New Jersey, whatever it is. What's, what's it worth anything anyway? That is the claim, and the counterclaim is, that's right, I'll be beaten up, but perhaps it'll straighten me. Okay, says the Gemara onwards, and now from here until the bottom of the Amud, the Gemara will tell us a few other stories with regards to this Gaviha ben Pasisa, whom we just mentioned as, through his encounters. Tanura Banan, this is a Beraita, the Beraita is the following statement, Be'aisrim ba'aba'a ben Nisan, 24th of Nisan, itnatilu 
Dimonsa'e Mihudam Yerushalayim. On the 24th of Nisan, um, uh, were removed these, these uh, negative uh, people who were making claims against Yehuda and Yerushalayim. So the Gemara will describe in just a few moments about the claims of neighboring or, or uh, adjacent nations who were making claims against Am Yisrael's presence in Eres Yisrael. When is this taking place? In the eyes of the Gemara and the Midrash that we're about to cite, during the times of Alexander Mokdon, otherwise known as Alexander the Great. What are we dealing with? Third, fourth century uh, before the Common Era. Uh, and we're going to have uh, several descriptions. This sort of wording at the beginning of the Beraita might lend, not fully clear, to its appearance in what's called uh, Megillat uh, Ta'anit. Megillat Ta'anit, which we learned about in Masechet Rosh Hashanah as well, was once a document, a physical document, which had many days on which miracles <coughs> took place to Am Yisrael, and as a result, with this is the second Beit HaMikdash time period, as a result, there was a prohibition from fasting on that day, maybe the day before and after, and having any hespedim, having any um, uh, eulogies. By extension, the way we would call that today is those were Yehishem days. Those are the days when happy, those are the Nes Musan days, right? Those are the days in which good things happen. As a result, we remembered, we would pause and say, this is when God redeemed us. What happened? Keshebau when the uh, descendants or the people who dwelled or, or hailed from, I guess, Africa, came to fight and to challenge Am Yisrael, Alexandrus Mokdon, in front of Alexander the Great. So they want to challenge Am Yisrael's stake and claim to this land of Israel uh, during this time period. And they have the following claim, They say, we are the descendants of this individual known as Kena'an, the grandson of Noah, and as a result, the land of Kena'an is ours, not theirs. After all, Pasuk describes it as Eretz Kena'an, and Eretz Kena'an, Uknan, Abuhon, Dehanehu, Inchehava. And Kena'an is the forefather of these people. They speak in the third person. They speak about their ancestors, perhaps. So this is our land. After all, its name testifies to the fact that it's ours, and of course, in the debate, in the challenge, and if you're going to win a challenge, you level down to the other people's text. So they turn, they challenge Am Yisrael with the Torah itself, as per this Midrash. Amaluhu Gaviha ben Pasisela Hachamim says Gaviha courageously, ambitiously, turns to the scholars, maybe the leaders of that time period, and says, Can I defend over here? Tenuli reshut ve'elech ve'adun imahen. Give me permission, I'll go and I'll respond to these Bre Afrikiya. Uh, I'll, I'll be the one to defend us in front of Alexander the Great. I know you might think just one person, perhaps you don't know my ability, is dangerous to be the defender. says If they win in this debate, you guys should respond. Uh, you got the yo-yo amongst us. You didn't give us a chance with our top guys. So in other words, if I go forward and I lose in my debate against Bene Afrikia in front of Alexandro, Alexandros Mokton, I said, just say, he was a simple guy. He's not, I mean, how many of us, including myself, aside from this Gemara, know that name, Gavia Ben, ben Pasos, Pasisa. We don't know that name at all. So I probably wasn't such a well-known individual then. May have been very bright, but that's your defense. However, says Gaviha, if I win in this debate, Imrulahem, respond, don't give me the credit, his piety, his humble side, and say to them, Torat Moshe It's not uh, this individual, it's not us who won, it's the Torah itself. 
yourself, you try to uh, offend, you try to fight against us with Torah, the Torah itself was the winner. So the Chachamim give permission to Pasisa to go and fight against B'nai Afrikiya with words. And he goes to the debate, to fight with them in front of the Alexander the Great. Just let me understand this. Where are you deriving your proof from? What's the proof text that we're dealing with? I want to understand our playing ground. Give me the context. They say it's from the Torah. After all, they quoted the Pasuk, says, oh, If that's the case, I can handle this one. I won't bring you from rabbinic literature, from tradition, or anything of that sort. All I'm going to do is open up a homash. That's it. I'm just interested in defending from the same book you... Vayomer Arur Kenaan Eved Avadim Yihiele Echav. Pasuk that Noah proclaims and declares about his grandson is that Kenaan will be cursed, he'll be the slave of his brothers. Eved Shekana Nechasim Eved Lemi Unechasim Lemi. First and foremost, if a slave has any possession, if a slave has a slave himself, if a slave has a land, who in truth owns it? You agree with me. As a result, perhaps the land was bestowed to you, Kena'an descendants. However, effectively, that's ours. Velo'od continues Gaviha. You should know there were some generations, many generations, you haven't been our slaves. As a result, I don't know about the land. It's certainly ours. You owe us money. We've been losing out. You guys were supposed to be our slaves. Amar lahem Alexandrus Malka, says Alexander the Great, ha-haziru lo respond to him, b'nei kena'an, amru lo, they request, Give us three days to think of a response. He gives them time. They search, they, they try to figure out a response, but can't find one. I don't know the significance of three days. I've been taught you have to be medayek in every detail that the rabbis throw at you. I don't know the significance of three days over here. Miyad Immediately they escape, they run away, they can't withstands the pressures of having lost this debate. And effectively, they leave their fields in Eris Yisrael, which apparently they had already worked on, and they were already seeded, and they were already planted. And that year, would you know it, was the seventh year we're giving out money, stipends for this class solely. That's the year. Yeah, just, just, just making sure. I forgot to okay with you. Anyway, uh, that year was Shemitah year. And as a result, this happened ostensibly or according to tradition on the 24th of Nisan. What a present we have. Uh, what t- ends up taking place is you guys owed us. You guys haven't worked for us. Oh, look, it's Shemitah year when we couldn't be working the land, but now we got your land, so we, you kind of made up for it, you know, in this pro- the divine providence type of cir- uh, way. Just one quick point on the Avdut. It's a side point, but the Avdut of Kena'an. Why Avdut? 
Ruth, why was it that Noah pronounced upon his grandson to be an Eved? If you're aware of the story, the story, of course, is that Kenan, together with his father, in some way, shape, or form, are involved with an exposure of their father and grandfather, maybe castration, as we saw earlier in Masechet Sanhedrin, according to the opinion of some of, of the rabbis. Effectively, what they did, if we were to boil it down to what was that act about, it was diminishing, well, diminishing from the Tzelem Elohim of, of the man. They turned to their father or grandfather and said, he's not deservant, this individual is not deservant of a certain respect. We can expose him, we can castrate him regardless of the specifics. They did something inappropriate to his body. As a result, the pronouncement upon them is slavery by definition, when you turn a person, where you treat a person as a slave, you're diminishing from their stature, their tzelem elokim. It's directly a midah keneged midah, and of course this is the aftermath of all of that as you're dealing with their descendants in turn who are coming to claim against the initial ones. This is how the Gemara describes the development of that. Continues the Gemara, it says, not only is that the story we have about Gaviha, in his defense, another time, Shuv, Pa'amahat, another time it happened, Ba'u b'nei Misraim ladun imi Israel. During the time of Alexander the Great, apparently is willing to listen to all the claims against the uh, Jewish and uh, Israel inhabitants of this land. This time it's the Egyptians' turn. Lifnei Alexandros Mokdon. Amru lo, the claim of the Egyptians is, Harehu omer, they too, well versed in the Torah. Vadonai natanet hen ha'am ha'am, so the Pasuk says, as we're leaving Egypt, God gives the grace of the people of Am Israel to the Egyptians, and as a result, the Egyptians give us Kelechesef and Zahav, they give us all sorts of money and gold and silver. As a result, say the Egyptians, we don't need the land, but give us the gold and silver which you guys wrongfully took from us. You wrongfully borrowed it from us, you misled us at that time. Uh-huh. Uh, says again, Gaviha, if you give me permission to defend and I lose, just say it was one of our lowly individuals. If I win, say it's the Torah that won. Natnu lo reshut, again, they give permission for him to defend Gaviha. Vidani mahen amalehen, he in front of Alexandros, Mokdon makes the claim, says to them, so where is it that you brought your proof from? Mehecha natem mevim raya, amrudo minat Torah, they say it's from your Bible, from the Old Testament. Amalehen afanilo avilachem raya elominat Torah. Fantastic, we're on equal playing ground. I'll bring my defense, I'll bring my claim from the same Torah. The Torah attests to the fact that we were in Egypt, in some way, for 430 years. Uh, says, uh, says Gavia to these Egyptians, Here's the deal. 430 years of slavery for 600,000 men plus. Um, so you pay us back for all the uh, commercial real estate and development we could have had over the course of that time period. And then we'll give back your gold and silver, of course. 
it's going to be grossly over, overweighed in the direction of Am Yisrael. Amar lehem Alexandros Mokdon, Alexandros Mokdon turns to the Egyptians, says to them, Ha-haziru lo teshuvah, amru lo tenudanu zeman, she'lo shayam, give us three days to ruminate, natan lahem zeman, batku velo matu teshuvah, miyad hinichu sadotehen keshen zruot, vekarmehen keshen netuot, ubarchu veota sha'ah, shevi'it ha'yeta, the same aftermath of, leaving behind their fields during Shemitah time period. Uh, you see, the, the Gemara's interesting thing over here, and it's possible that in the eyes of the Hachamim this had not yet been developed. Elsewhere, the Gemara, when it gets a bit nervous about Egyptians specifically, it's well known, when they're dealing with converts from Egyptians and the ability or inability that the Torah provides, the response, and in turn the later literature, when there's a discussion about how, if there's any Egyptians in the room, how your ancestors lived in Egypt, the Torah forbade us from living in Egypt. The response time and again in the words of the Chachamim is that Sanherev was Mivalbil. Sanherev took what was once the Egyptian culture of the time of the Torah and he dispersed. And as a result, we don't have Egyptians any longer. That really could have been a response over here in the eyes of the Chachamim, if that's what we're working with. This is a claim that means nothing. The Egyptians, you're not the same Egyptians and so forth. He doesn't need to go there. And I wonder if developmentally we hadn't got to that point yet in making that claim. That is parenthetically the claim that many do make today. It's a practical way of dealing with, well, so killing Amalek is a very difficult modern concept to set our, our mind on genocide. Uh, how would we be dealing with such a reality in a today's day and age? So we can deal with it philosophically, but it's a mitzvah from the Torah. Alternatively, practically speaking, we don't have Amalek. We can't define who Amalek once was. One time again, we'll just deal with the claim and we'll, deal, and we'll read the response next time. This time it's the alleged descendants of Yishmael and of Keturah. Yishmael, of course, being the son of Abraham from Hagar. Bene Keturah. Keturah was that last pilegish after the death of Sarah that the Torah describes at the end of Parashat Haye Sarah. Abraham gets married, gets involved with her, and has children from her. Amru lo eres kena'an shelanu veshelachim. This land that you're inhabiting is not only yours, but we have to share it with you. Both Yishmael and Yitzhak are the descendants, are the children, the sons of Abraham. If anything, Yishmael is the older one. What about Keturah? Either it's left out of our Gemara, and there was an additional, there is such a, there is such a Nosach in the Gemara, or alternatively, we can suffice by claiming this is not entirely yours. And again, Amar lehen gaviyah ben pasisa lachachamim tenu lirishut ve'elech ve'adun imahen lifnei Alexandros Mokton imin atchuni imru hediot shebanu nitzachtem ve'im ani anatzeh otam imru lahem torat Moshe Rabbeinu nitzachtachem natnu lo rishut halach ve'dani imahem I'm going to read this very quickly. So, same thing transpires. It says, give me permission to go defend and if I lose, just say it was the, the low life who, lo, who, you, who, you, uh, who, who you beat. If I win, say it's the Torah that one Amar lahem, he turns to the Bnei Yishmael Bnei Keturah and states, what's your proof that this land is yours? I'll work with the Torah as well. Matanot. The Pasuk describes how Abraham gives all that he possessed to Yitzhak, and then to the other ones he gives presents. 
Uh, well, if he gave all that he had to Yitzhak, it includes the land. The other one's got some presents. We'll define in a second what, what that presents? is. We'll see in the Gemara. No, 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 no. Very clearly not. He gave everything. Afterwards, he gave some presents. Apparently, he has something remaining. The Gemara will question, what does he have remaining if he gave everything? Okay, but he effectively says, If a father gives that that word in the Gemara, agatin, says says Rashi, it's like a document of sorts. if If a father in his lifetime makes clear in a document, my possessions go to that one, and then and sends away the other ones, which is what the Pasuk says. He gives them matano and then sends them away. Uh, can the other ones have a claim? There's a document and a physical sending away, and as a result, you have no claim. It concludes the Gemara, just by the way, what were those matanot? After all, as, as Joey just asked, isn't everything given to Yitzchak? My matanot, is it anything physical? doesn't have anything physical. Says Rashi, what's the name of impurity? Kishuf Sorcery and witchcraft. Oh, lucky Bnei Keturah and Bnei Ishmael. That's what they were rewarded, whereas the possessions of the land were given to Am Yisrael as per this claim and the Pesukim. And as a result, the Gemara doesn't conclude it for us, but you'd have to imagine he wins the debate. Again, Baruch Adonai Amen, Amen.